Welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I am so glad to have you with me for this episode. I am your host, author Liz Tolsma. If you are a returning listener, thank you so much for your loyal support. I really do appreciate it. If you are new here, then please subscribe to Christian Historical Fiction Talk on your favorite podcasting platform. That way you will be able to get information when we have new episodes releasing. I don't want you to miss out on anything that we have coming up this year. We have a great lineup. Also, be sure to check out Christian Historical Fiction Talk on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. I think I hit all the ones that we're on. Just search Christian Historical Fiction Talk. You'll find us there. We love to talk to you about books, about what's going on on in the world of Christian historical fiction, so please connect with us there. And finally, if you would please take a moment and go to my website, which is liztolsma.com, and there, check out the podcast tab, click on one of the podcasts, and you will find information there about becoming a patron of the podcast. I would really appreciate that. You get lots of great benefits from being a patron, and I would love to have you along with us. Okay, that takes care of business, and that means we can get to the really fun part of the show. And today, we have author Elizabeth Camden. She is back with us. She is always such a delightful guest, and she is here today to talk about her newest book, Hearts of Steel. Welcome to the show today, Elizabeth. It is so good to have you with us. Oh, thank you. It's wonderful to be on again. Yes, you were here before a little while ago, and now book three of the Blackstone Legacy, it's called Hearts of Steel, is out. But before we get to talking about the book, why don't you just remind the listeners about who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, sure. Well, I was a librarian for 25 years. I think deep in my soul, I will always consider myself to be a librarian. It's not one of those things that you leave. I worked in some of the biggest and smallest college campuses all over the country. But about three years ago, I was able to finally quit the day job and be a full-time writer. So that's what I've been doing for the last three years. And it's been great. I live in Florida with my husband. And that's it. That's pretty much my life in a (laughs) nutshell these days. Oh, and in the winter like it is here now, Florida is a pretty good place to be. Yeah. Well, I'm from the Midwest originally. I'm from Ohio. And I've lived in Virginia and in Texas, Indiana. I've been to Wisconsin a lot. I think Of the 50 states, I think Wisconsin is up there for natural beauty. So Florida doesn't exactly have four seasons. It's got hot and less hot. I miss four seasons. I know that there are times when the snow can be really brutal, but I miss it. I, I do deeply miss just the rolling countryside, the turning leaves, the snow, the I, the return of spring, all of these things. You really don't quite get that in Florida, and I do miss those things. 
Yes, that is true. I think if I lived somewhere there weren't four seasons, like you said, I would miss it. Even though we complain about having to shovel the snow and how cold it is, it is just spectacularly gorgeous out right now. We have snow on the ground and more to come and it's it's just beautiful. So I get that for sure. And thank you for your kind words about Wisconsin. Not a lot of people know how beautiful of a state it is. So thank you. It's gorgeous. (laughs) All right. Now let's get into Hearts of Steel. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? What's it about? Sure. Well, it's a romance. All my books are romances. I consider myself at heart a romance novelist. But I always base the romance on a real-life historical event, usually one people have never heard of. So the real-life event in this one is about a time in the year 1900 in New York City when a robber baron tried to corner the ice market. Now, let me explain what that meant. In the days before air conditioning or refrigerators, ice was a really big deal. It was essential for keeping people's meat cold and battling the heat before air conditioning. So ice would be delivered in a big block two or three times a week to every household or to companies. And most of these ice companies were mom and pop companies. And ice wasn't terribly expensive. But in 1900, a really powerful robber baron bought up a lot of these companies and pressured the remainder of them put them into a trust, and he forced them to simultaneously start raising their prices for their ice. So that wasn't a really big deal for most people. Most people could afford the price increase, but the people who bought ice by the ton, and those would be people like meat and fish markets, restaurants, morgues, hospitals. These people could not afford the price increase and it became very dangerous. So the heroine of my book, she runs an ice cream factory and she is the owner of an ice cream factory. She is a hard knocks girl. She had to drop out of school early to sell ice cream out of a push cart, but she is a very business minded person and figured out a way to buy her own ice cream factory. So she's very successful but she doesn't have a lot of cushion. And so when the price of ice was raised, it really hit her hard. And this book is about business people and communities coming together to fight for a cause. And in this case, it was to fight corrupt banking practices and trusts. And in the course of doing this, she meets the hero, Liam, and they have a wonderful love story. And so that's it in a nutshell. It's kind of a uh, good guys versus the bad guys type romance novel. Oh, it sounds absolutely wonderful. And the listeners know that I love a book with a hero or a heroine or both who have really unique professions. And I have to say, I have never heard of a heroine or a hero for that matter, owning an ice cream factory. It's genius, really. (laughs) Thank you. When I read about this, this incident, when the guy tried to corner the ice market, I thought, oh, this has to be a novel. This is just so rich. 
And so I needed her to be involved in one of these industries that used ice by the ton. And I didn't want to have her be in a morgue (laughs) or in the fish market. And I thought, well, what about ice cream? So I, I, of course, I did uh, a lot of research into how ice cream was made and sold back then. Ice cream was a big deal because we forget how hot it could be in the city before air conditioning. And so a cold drink of water or an ice cream was such a, a treat. So I learned how to make ice cream. I bought myself an actual ice cream maker and I tried all the different ways of learning to make ice cream. Okay. And my sometimes the research for my books are not quite so much fun, but I <laughs> did have fun learning to make ice cream for this yeah. book. Well, that, wow, that is the best kind of research. Yeah. <laughs> it's my kind of research. This is book three in the Blackstone Legacy series, as we said. Is this a standalone or do you have to read the other books in this series? You can absolutely read this one on its own. I always try to make the books standalone. So in this book, the character Liam has been, he's he's been in all three of the books so far. And he's been the one book that all the readers have been waiting. When's Liam's book coming out? When's Liam's (laughs) book? Well, this is it. But the heroine, Maggie, she is new to this book. And the villain is new to this book. So it really starts off fairly fresh. And people can join in at this point without, I don't think they'd be too confused with the plot at all. Okay, good. Now, you mentioned the villain, Charles Morse, Mm -hmm. and he was a real life man. So was it fun to create this character in the book? And how did you go about staying true to who he really was? Right. It's, it was actually a little terrifying because I, I have had real life characters in my novels in the past, but they've never been the villain. So I had to be really careful in crafting his personality. So history has not been kind to Mr. Morse. Nobody has anything good to say about him. I read what few biographies are out there on him. And the the worst stuff in the book is all true. He had a very colorful life. He tried to divorce his wife when they were newlyweds. And when that didn't work, he hired some really scoundrel lawyers to basically frame his wife. And all of this actually happened. And there was a famous court case. And in the end, he was able to get away with what he tried to do. And the only people who ended up going to jail was his lawyers, because his lawyers were suborning perjury and doing all kinds of dirty deeds. And the deal that he did with the ICE this all happened. He did a lot of time in jail for various frauds over the years. His life was very sad in in that he became massively wealthy, but it was like the money was never enough for him. Mm -hmm. Whether it was seeking power or just more, he was always after the next scheme and it did catch up with him. The Securities and Exchange Commission, which was created in 1930, was created in large part because of some of the stuff that he was able to pull off 
in the 19 teens and 20s. So he was bad news. And I did try to give him a few redeeming qualities. I tried to be fair. You know, as I said, the worst stuff he does in the book, he actually did in real life. And then I tried to add give him some charm. Wow. He sounds like you said a real scoundrel. (laughs) Well, he was. It was an era of scoundrels. He was the robber baron, you know, the epitome of being a robber baron. He was very smart. He was a self-made man. So I do give him credit for working hard and for pulling himself up out of nothing. But yes, I was careful to, I tried not to overstep with how I handled him. I tried to make sure that if anybody ever comes back to say I was unfair, I can kind of open up the pages in the biography or point to the online archives that deal with him and back up what I did. I want to backtrack a little bit to the ice cream. Mm -hmm. You have such realistic descriptions and they leave the reader wanting ice cream and, and, and your research cookies. I can take or leave pie. I'm not real huge on cake. I, I, I like cake pretty well, but Oh man, give me ice cream and you have me. What are some of the flavors and what are some of the ways that you went about researching how to make ice cream? Well, There's a difference between making it in an industrial manner, which she does, and then your home cook, which is what I was. And back then, they didn't have a whole lot of flavors. You know, these days, you have all kinds of crazy coconut, chocolate, strawberry, peach, all that stuff. Back then, they really didn't have all that. So I have her making eight or nine different flavors. But I felt like I needed to know how it was made because I had never made it before I started researching this book and there's two major different ways to make it. You can go through this step where you cook a custard with cream and eggs and sugar and you cook it and then you gradually cool it down and then add additional cream and the flavorings. And that's the stuff that's really rich. That's the stuff that is high calorie and super delicious. If you don't add that, custard step. It is a little icier. And what I wanted to do, my husband said that he always had these flavors in mind that he used to get at Baskin Robbins, German chocolate cake ice cream. I've always thought of banana pudding ice cream. And these are hard flavors to find. And so those were the ones that I would cook at home. And I learned all the ins and outs about why it's hard to make fruit ice cream. And Basically, it's, you know, fruit has so much water content in it. So if you add blueberries, I love the idea of blueberry ice cream, but blueberries have so much water in them that it's very hard to make without it getting icy. So I did enjoy the research. And my husband said, you know, ever since you turned that manuscript in, you have not made ice cream a single time. And it's like, yeah, you know, it was a phase I went through. And for the sake of our waistlines, I'm not sure I'm going to be making it too much in the future. But I did enjoy doing it. Oh, that is so much fun. And of course, if you've been to Wisconsin a lot, then you know, Wisconsin is the capital for we call it frozen custard. And you're right. Okay, it's rich, and it's smooth, and it is so good. So if anybody Uh, ever gets to Wisconsin, you cannot leave the state without getting some frozen custard from somewhere. So 
There is so much praise among your fans for how you create such realistic characters. How do you come up with these characters and how do you go about developing them? Well, I guess most people say that they like my men more than my women. And I agree with them. I don't know where it comes from. I just adore men. I adore manly, strong, charismatic men. And I'm not afraid to roll that out, unfurl it on the page. I think sometimes in romance novels, men almost come off, I don't want to say effeminate, but you could almost tell that they're being written by women. I come from a household of military men and strong manly men. And I like that. I have four older brothers. And so I grew up with all the crude humor, all the difficulty of living in a male dominated household. But I love men. I adore men. And I think that that shows. And so I have unabashed manly characters. As to how I make them unique, it takes me about a year to write a book. And so I live with these people in my head. (laughs) I do try to give them unique professions. And that just doing, going through that process of giving them a unique background will kind of coax out something that's a little more unusual. So I guess that's the best I can do to answer that question. No, that's a great answer because I think you're right about that. You have my sympathies living in a house with four older brothers. I can't imagine. I I had two yeah. sisters. I can't imagine having a house full of brothers. <laughs> so yeah. you describe yourself as independent and resilient. Is that why you think you write characters who are so independent and resilient themselves? Well, I want to do characters that people admire. And I do think that the days of heroines who wait for it to be rescued and stuff like that, thats it's hard to, to really cheer for that. So I want to have strong, independent women. All my women are a little older. They're usually in their late 20s, sometimes early 30s. And that gives them a time to have had a profession and develop a backbone and a spine. And I think that that... that sets them up to have better conflict with the hero. They are not doormats. But they're also not, gosh, don't you get hate when you read a novel? And the women, they almost, the author almost makes women strong and snotty or bratty or too stupid to live. I want my characters to be really smart. So that's just, that's the kind of character I like to read. So that's who I create. Yeah, and I agree with you. It That was one of the hardest things for me was to write a strong character who didn't come off as snotty. So I have to work very hard at that when I do that. But this trend toward a lot of books, as I read so many different authors, so many of them do have these strong, independent women. Do you think that reflects our culture today, that this shift even in fiction, away from the heroine waiting to be rescued, you know, the girl tied to the tracks and the guy coming by on his white steed and rescuing her. Do you think that reflects a change in our culture as well from, say, 30 years ago even? I think so. 
Now, even 30 years ago, women were out of the household and having jobs and supporting themselves. I think that we demand more of ourselves these days. Not that there's anything wrong with households that are supported with the traditional family structure, but that's not my family. That's not how I ever lived. Work is the only thing I know, really. I got married really late in life. And so I, you tend to write a little bit what you know. So I know, I know about work. I also set my novels usually in the very late 19th or early 20th century because it is realistic for women to be having professional careers at that point. Mm-hmm. At one point, my publisher asked me if I would be willing to write Regency romance because that is a classically good selling genre. Right. And I thought about it for 60 seconds. And so, <laughs> you know, I, because I couldn't, I can't think of a way to incorporate realistically women working. And of course, you know, Elizabeth Bennett and Pride and Prejudice and all those Jane Austen heroines, they seem strong and they are strong, <laughs> but I couldn't build a whole novel around that sort of countryside setting. And I really admire the writers who can but that's not me. So I'm very happy writing my, you know, early 20th century type settings with strong women who have interesting careers. Well, and I love that because the world would be very boring if there was only one kind of book, only one kind of romance novel set in only one time period. So we need the variety for sure. And that's great to see. In your bio, you say that you would have changed the ending of Charlotte's Web. What ending would you have given Charlotte's Web? All right. I think people can probably guess this one. I was devastated at the end of Charlotte's Web. I didn't see that ending coming. I was, you know, I was in fourth grade, fifth grade. And I remember saying to my mom, because I was so upset, that when I grew up, I was going to write a better ending to that novel. And the other, you know, he... E.B. White, I think, was the author, wrote Trump right. of the Swan and a couple other books that all have these bittersweet endings. And I just didn't like that. Now, I do. I have come to appreciate a bittersweet ending, but I've always loved the romance genre because for the most part, it is a satisfying happily ever after. I do find that a little twinge of a lost dream or a hope that didn't materialize or a regret that isn't ever going to be fully healed. I do think that that makes an ending more powerful and profound, especially if the characters have to learn to accept or struggle or wrestle with that bittersweet quality. But yeah, I'm not into unhappy endings where characters die and lovers break up forever. And so, yeah, Charlotte would have not died in the end if I could rewrite it. That was a sad ending, that's for sure. Yeah. So, I'm sure that you are busy at work with your next book. I hope so anyway. So what's coming up from you? Well, because this is the end of the trilogy, I am moving on to yet another trilogy. And this is also going to be set in New York. So my next trilogy, gosh, how to describe it. The next book will be set in a all-female apartment building. It was called the Martha Washington Hotel. And this is a real apartment building, even though they called it hotel, but 
It was Mm -hmm. built in recognition that you had all of these single professional women coming to New York City who didn't have a safe place to live. So the Martha Washington was a 11-story building with 500 units and filled with secretaries, stenographers, teachers, you know, just female women who could afford the rent. It wasn't cheap, but it was a Mm -hmm. safe place. It was a really cool building. It was a beautiful building. And I thought, well, this gives me a lot of freedom to have my strong, independent women with a tie. My first heroine is going to be a dentist. And yes, they did have female dentists at the turn of the century. And Mm -hmm. she's going to fall in love with a cop. I don't really know what is going to happen with the next, with the rest of that trilogy, but that's why I thought the Martha Washington was such a great tie because I will have lots of women populating that apartment complex who can be my unifying theme for the trilogy. Oh, I love that idea. And we'll definitely be looking forward to the first book when that comes out. So then if listeners want to keep up with you and find out more about Hearts of Steel and about the next trilogy, how can they go about connecting with you? Well, my email is elizabeth at elizabethcamden.com or I am very active on Facebook. That is actually the best way to get in touch with me. I try to post interesting historical tidbits almost every day, Monday through Friday on Facebook. And that's where I can actually interact with readers the best is on Facebook, which is just, you know, author Elizabeth Camden, you'll get to me. Or my website, elizabethcamden.com. Okay, that sounds great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today here, Elizabeth. It has been wonderful to have you. I have learned so much and look forward to Hearts of Steel. Okay, well, thanks very much. One of the things that I love about this podcast and about having all of these historical fiction authors on here is that we learn so much about history and about little known parts of history. So that was so interesting to learn about this guy who cornered the market on ice and who would have thought that it was so crazy and caused so many problems and must've been so much fun to research how to make ice cream. I have to get a little more creative with that so I can do those kinds of researching. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much to Elizabeth for joining us. If you'd like to find out more about her or about Hearts of Steel or to get a handy link to purchase the book, then head over to my website, liztolsma.com. All that information will be there on the show notes. If you don't see this particular episode on my homepage, click on the podcast tab, scroll down, and you'll be able to find it there. Coming up next week on the show, I am really excited because we have Rosanna White, who is going to be with us. She is always so much fun to talk to. She is an absolutely terrific author, and I am so pleased that she has agreed to come back on the show to speak with us once again. So be sure to come back next week to hear my interview with Rosanna. 
I want to thank you all for taking time out of your very busy days to listen and to support Christian Historical Fiction Talk. You are a very important part of the show, and I couldn't do it without you. I hope that you all have an absolutely fabulous week, and we will see you next time.